Hello, Mountain. It's good to see everybody again, and uh, we're clicking along through our our series here called Torn. So we want to be sure before we jump in just to say hello to everyone at our other campuses. It's always fun. I know that over at Bel Air and Edgewood, they love to hear us say hi. So we're going to do that. Everybody here, uh, say hi really loud to everyone over at the Edgewood campus. Hey, Edgewood. All right, I promise you, they're yelling back at us right now. And uh, let's say hi to everyone over at the Bel Air campus. Hey, Bel Air. And uh, they're not quite as loud, but yelling back at us over there as well right now. We're, we're in this series called Torn. It's an important series because it uh, touches so many different areas of our lives. We've had such good uh, response already to how God's Word is intersecting with our lives in ways that really matter. We began by talking about torn lives and just the reality of how, how um, just like uh, the centerfold of People magazine got torn and restored, that is possible for us through the power of God in whatever ways we're torn. Last week we, we dove into torn families, a deeply uh, personal uh, subject for so many of us, and saw the redemptive power of God about that. Next week, we're going uh, to talk about torn hearts and just some of the dreams that uh, get torn out of the journals of our lives before they get a chance to be fully written. And, and then we'll, we'll end the series talking about how we are even sometimes torn from God, um, and especially torn from God. Uh, we, we want this weekend to talk about um, something that um, the Bible talks a lot about, that affects our minds and hearts in a huge way uh, from a young age all the way up through our, our, the moment we take our last breath, uh, something that can really enliven um, and embolden our relationship with God and other people in healthy ways, or it can shrivel those relationships with God and other people and deaden us on the inside. It's very, very important. So let's talk about sex. It's a deeply personal area, isn't it? Already I can see shoulders hunching and furrowed brows and everybody worried because it, it, it strikes to the core of who we are as people. This is personal stuff. And it's, it's, it's private, in a sense. It's not really any of your business. And it's, it can be painful because of so many reasons it can be painful. But sexuality is this thing that, you know, a lot of people in the church, we kind of have gotten this wrong for so long, of course. You know, we, we, we can't even talk about sexuality without assuming that someone's shaking a finger at us and it's a naughty no-no, it's a bad thing. But, of course, we always have to begin by reminding ourselves that, that God created this beautiful thing like a painting, like your life is a beautiful painting, but it does become sort of marred and messed up with different smatters of paint and maybe a tear in the corner. And this is how we've come to think about sexuality, and that's why it's in this series called Torn. Because we're really made by God as relational beings, aren't we? We're made for intimacy and love, to connect with other people in deep, meaningful, joy-producing, life-giving, God-honoring, beautiful, transparent ways. That's what we're made for. That's the intention. And yet it doesn't always work up that way. And, and the truth is, isn't it, that very often our sexuality is twisted up in some of the problem with that. And so very often people 
As a pastor and as a friend and family member, I can tell you what you already know, and that is that as people talk about their sexuality, very often, instead of the previous list I, I recited for us about how, how sexuality was meant to, to be associated in our minds, very often it's more like feelings of shame or guilt, rejection, or it can spur feelings of insecurity and confusion, and it becomes an arena where... Manipulation and control or isolation or anger or hurt or woundedness or power all come into play. We're torn. This beautiful thing meant to produce love for God and others, closeness, intimacy, joy, and security. The very thing that Jesus and the early New Testament writers likened as a perfect metaphor for how much Jesus loves us. This thing gets messed up in various ways and all of us are torn. For some of us, I want to hasten to say that some of our sexual tornness is, in a sense, not our fault. Something's been torn away from us. You were at a party and you had something happen to you that you didn't invite. Someone abused you. Your boss said this or did that. Or a parent was torn before you came into the world and so that resulted in them treating you in a certain way or another loved one around you or someone you trusted and some of us ha have been torn because of choices we did make for reasons we don't fully even understand it's very complex this stuff but the reality is that all of us are in this sort of sexually torn society according to Journal of Psychology and Christianity 65% of husbands and 55% of wives will commit adultery by the age of 40. Seems normal, I guess. At least typical. It's normal to view pornography online. According to the London School of Economics, 90% of children who have looked, will have looked at porn by the age of 16. 90%. It's normal to have sexual intercourse before marriage. Didn't used to be, but it seems typical now, so it must be normal. Multiple studies conclude that at least 80% of unmarried uh, people in the U.S. will be sexually active prior to marriage, about 70% of teens by the age of 19. Seems normal. Typical, at least. It's normal to, to, have, to view, on a regular basis, movies and videos and images and magazines that routinely peddle products through the use of what could only be called soft porn. It's so prevalent. It's normal to reduce sexuality to, to a casual hookup, a banging of bodies, a bouncing of boots, a weekend encounter, friends with benefits without strings attached. It's normal to see that because it's so typical. It's normal to see people sexually abused, violence against people, twisted in somehow with this beautiful gift of sexuality has become so common and rampant in this new thing that Time Magazine recently called our new rape culture. Girl gets drunk and goes to a party and four guys sleep with her and later files for rape and then the, the worst report comes out that says, well, it's too bad for those guys. They're going to have that charge hanging over their heads. Data, according to the Journal of American College Health, says that 20% of college seniors, 20% will complete, ha have experienced a completed sexual assault during their college years. 20%. Do the math. We just sent our kids off to school, 20%. One in three American women will be sexually abused during their lifetime, according to George Mason University Worldwide Stats. One in four women, one in six men will be sexually assaulted by the age of 18. So it's not just things we wander into on our own. It's things that happen to us all as a matter of sort of being in this 
thing that we call our society, our world, so that this beautiful gift of sexuality now becomes associated with confusion and threat and danger and, and, and it's pervasive and it's typical and we're torn. And still in the midst of it, we're like drawn to this beautiful gift, but we've so distorted how we think about it that it comes out all weird. And so we come to think about sexuality as this area that we're going to assume that we know more than God. Proverbs 14 says it this way. There is a way of life that looks right and harmless enough to many people. When you think of sexuality, that's a perfect verse. You know, it seems well enough. But look more carefully. In the end, it leads to death and destruction. Sure, those people appear to be having a good time, but all that laughter will end in heartbreak. Adultery and affairs seem normal. They're so prevalent, but it can tear, can it? can tear your heart off, can tear marriage, can tear relationships with kids and friends into the next generation and then a generation after that. Casual sex seems normal, but it tears hearts and tears trust. Abuse seems normal, but it tears your ability to trust others. It tears your heart in two because it's the one thing that every one of us longs for is intimacy and belonging and to be loved and accepted. And you, you thought you were going to find that being cherished sense only to discover you were being used. And so you told yourself that you will never trust another person or you'll be the strong, capable one. You'll never go there. And all of that is a way of being torn, you see. Pornography is normal and strip clubs and parlors are normal, but, but it escalates and leads to other compromises and experimentation and sex outside of marriage, infidelity and abortion and depression and on and on and on. All this negative garbage, it seems well enough to us, but in the end it always leads to death and destruction. We need some help. Let's get to the good news. Can we get, can we get off of this and get to some good news? Whew. Let's talk about, uh, let's go back to the outline that we used a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, um, where I talked to you about 4-H. I'm not talking about, you know, raising a sheep and taking it to the fair and showing it to somebody and getting a ribbon. I'm talking about four H's that will help us tremendously and reframe the way that we've come to think about ourselves, our lives, our future, and our relationships as it comes to sexuality in our own lives. And the first thing we've got to do is just start right off and say, first of all, we've got to be honest about our own sexuality. You know what? You have sexuality. Ah, I said it. The person next to you is a sexual being. Guess what? It's not an accident. It's not a naughty no-no. God made you that way. God made me that way. Because you're human beings. But we've got to be honest about the torn part of our sexuality. We're part of this broken planet and sexuality is part of what's broken. Part of it's beautiful, part of it's broken. It gets all mixed up. We've got to be honest about that. We're only as sick as our secrets, as the saying goes. So honesty is, is important to begin with, to get it out in the open, even though we've been taught in many circles to not do that, to not think about it. Patrick Carnes, one of the leading authorities on sexual addiction, landed his landmark book was titled Out of the Shadows because that's a perfect description of what has to happen as this subject comes into the light of truth and the ability for God to heal it begins with dealing with reality. Denial of the past. Denial of our sexuality is always, listen, always a denial of God. This is a spiritual issue, people. It's a spiritual issue. That's why it makes some of us uncomfortable because it's so deeply personal, so intensely private, and so extremely painful. But reluctance to face any issue, especially where there's pain, to prevent, pretend we're fine, eventually that dull ache surfaces and floats up, stalking memories come, hounding guilt at our heels. Dan Allender says this, hiding the past always involves denial, and denial is always a denial of God. I believe that. So that's why in sexuality, very often, we're, we're not very honest. We tend to, it's weird, isn't it? Our culture fixates on it, 
It's everywhere. You can't go anywhere. You can't watch any movie or hear any song without talking about it. But it's always surface level. We never really talk about it. It's just sort of shallow nothing. It's everywhere, but no one's really talking about it. Because we don't want to go there because as soon as we do, we realize that, boy, this sexuality thing and our tornness in it has everything to do with how close we can feel to God or how prevented we feel from getting connected to Him. And every one of us knows what I'm talking about. Our sexuality has a lot to do with how close we allow ourselves to feel with God. We don't want to talk about it because, uh, because it goes to the, the deep part that all of us feel as a desire to be loved and accepted and to be intimate and to, to trust someone and all of those things. Some of you are saying right now, I don't see what the big issue is. Because you're still telling yourself that you don't have any sort of issues with this. And I'm not saying you're sick and you're terrible and all of that. I'm just saying you've got to be honest about the fact that the whole world is broken and torn. And you're a sexual being and that's part of what's broken and torn. What we want to do is to bring the heart-mending compassion and life-changing power of Jesus to every part of your life. Can I say that again? What we want to do and what God hopes happens, maybe some of you will get honest for the first time this weekend, so that you can bring the heart-mending compassion and the life-changing power of Jesus to every area of your life, and there won't be some area that's off limits or that you will, you will just continue to self-deceive yourself and assume this is something about someone else or some other issues and continue to live in some way that's outside of God's best for you. Here's a picture of uh, my daughter, uh, Ellie. Uh, she won't be real happy. Well, she knows I'm showing this picture, but uh, Thursday night she started feeling a little sickly in her stomach and uh, didn't subside and all through the day and then went to school on Friday. Anyway, came home uh, right after school and uh, it was really not going well. So um, guess what we did? We went into the doctor and sure enough started pushing around down there on the lower right and the abdomen. It's like, oh, okay, here we go. Um, toxic poison in your body's leaking out, going to do a lot of damage. So here she went into the hospital recently, uh, just this weekend. Uh, the doctor said, uh, "You gotta, you gotta get that laparoscopic thing and suck out. What am I? What are they going after? The appendix. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. The laparoscopic thing. What I meant. <laughs> and." Here's a picture before she went back for surgery. I think you're looking at it now. Now, here's what I want you to notice. That's my little, that's my little girl. She doesn't look really that sick. She's smiling for the camera because that's what teenagers do. She had a terrible night's sleep. She didn't get hardly any sleep at all. She's got this jabbing discomfort down in her abdomen. And, and that's how sexual tornness is with us as well, isn't it? We, we know how to smile on the outside. It's like a dull ache that's there, occasional syrup pains. Sometimes it keeps us awake at night. But you know what? We, we learn how to get by. But there's this toxic poison inside of us that if we don't deal with it honestly is going to make something bad happen in our lives. There's lots of sex in the Bible and the Bible's very real and honest about it. Did you know that? I talked to somebody just a, little, a couple of days ago. They were like, man, I never read the Bible before. There's a lot of sex in there. They're kind of like, kind of like sex and then stay with their mouth almost like sex. Like, like he's telling me something I didn't know. I said, yeah, yeah, that's why I became a pastor. It's so fascinating. 
interesting. You never, you know, you get it every page. There's lust, there's adultery, there's affairs, there's rape, there's homosexuality, bestiality, prostitution, happy and harmonious marriage, sex. But it's real. And, and, and the reason it's in there is because it's part of the story that God's doing to reclaim this torn, broken planet back to himself. And guess what? Sexuality is part of that. But you will never experience the wholeness if you don't get honest about the brokenness. So be honest. You've got some torness when it comes to sexuality. And you know, you might as well elbow the person next to them because they do too. It's a torn planet. No one's perfectly pure and true. There is no one left on the planet who's over a certain age for whom sexuality doesn't have any hint of taintedness or where, where their human self-centeredness doesn't enter into the conversation or the actions of it or where there's absolutely no insecurity, absolutely no distortion. Listen, it's everybody. And you know what? It doesn't mean that it's always twisted and it's completely ruined and rotten and it's bad for all of us all the time. No, I'm saying what I think you and I already know, but some of us are so reluctant to admit that this world is torn and sexuality is part of it and your sexuality is torn too. I remember the first time my friend Eddie invited me over to his house. I was a young boy in grade school. And then he showed me his brother's dirty magazines. First time I'd seen something like that, except for one page in National Geographic. <laughs> but those images imprinted themselves on my mind. And I felt strange sensations and confusion and feelings of kind of simultaneous shame and guilt with curiosity and titillation. And secret. Because I certainly didn't walk home and say, Hey, Mom, guess what Eddie and I did? Somehow I knew that I tucked it away. And it was the beginning, as you have had a beginning, and all of us have had a beginning, to sort of take this beautiful thing and learn to put on a pair of weird, weird torn glasses and begin to look at it in just a little bit different way than the beautiful, wholesome way it was intended for us. And so the first thing as we get honest, here's a great scripture for you. Psalm 139, verse 23. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. That word know is the word for the most intimate kind of knowing. God knows you and then you invite God to just know me even fuller. God, search me, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Does anyone ever have any anxious thoughts about sexuality? I think so. See, Lord, if there's an offensive way in me where I'm living in a way that's not part of the beautiful plan for, you, for, my, for your life, for my life. We all have these anxious thoughts and feelings tucked away. Some of them are memories. Some of them are worries. Some of them are untrue, offensive ideas. Some are things that somebody told us and they're not true at all, but we keep them in secret. We keep them in fear. We keep them with all this confusion and this endless pursuit of sexual fulfillment that some of us are just wildly pursuing in a cycle of endless frustration. Some of the low self-esteem, some of the low self-worth and the secrecy, all of that is all part of a denial that is a denial of God and it is no real life at all. And so the first thing we've got to do is is get honest. Because the second H is to remember this, that God hates the tornness in our sexuality. God hates it. It's not what God planned. It's not what God wants. It, 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 you know, we, we, we're used to thinking, you know, God hates when we do naughty things. But what I'm saying to you is that God hates that you're broken and I'm broken and twisted in any way. He hates that all of us kind of had a friend named Eddie who helped us put on those glasses to look at this in a way that's just a little bit skewed and brings out the, the crooked part of it. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 with me for a moment. It's the beginning of the Bible. It's like a template for how it's supposed to be, how God makes the man. He really likes it. So this is good. Now, but wait a second, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. 
It's not good for him to be alone. No, it's not good yet. It's not great yet. And he creates this perfect complementary partner woman and he brings her to the man. And man said, according to the Bible, man said, yes, this is what I'm talking about. I've looked at all the other animals and that's, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says this one here, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one here was made for me. This is perfect. I would leave home for that. For that reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. I would leave home for that. Yep. A lot of us are still doing that. And the two will become one flesh and the closest of intimacy and they're made for each other. Literally, he looked at Eve and he said, of all the women in the world, you're the one for me. <laughs> all right, verse 25. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Can you feel the power of that verse? Now the man and the wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There's a little part of you that longs for that and has maybe experienced a little taste of it somewhere in your life. Naked and without shame. Naked, referring to this beautiful expression of closeness and intimacy and vulnerability and being seen for who you really are and, and yet being accepted and loved. And so you're not ashamed. You're not, you don't feel the need to hide and lie and control and manipulate and be fearful and protect yourself. You, you, you just know. Adam didn't look at a Victoria's Secret advertisement and say, Eve, why don't you, you know, look more like her? No. It's a picture of what we all want. Naked. Buck naked. My little boy, Nathan, when, when we, were, we were having a meeting one time or a group party or whatever, he was supposed to be taking his bath or whatever. He's in there, you know. But you know what happens when little kids get all excited. They get their clothes off. They get, come running into the room, buck naked. I'm naked, I'm naked. Woo-hoo! You know, a little streaker, a little midget streaker up back up the stairs going to bed. I keep telling him, knock that off. They're going to kick you out of college. He's a... Uh... That was a long, long time ago. But as adults, what do we do? We see that, we laugh. Because it's beautiful, it's innocent, and it's like, you know, he's not trying to show off. He's just like, this feels good. <laughs> and that's maybe a little bit of what, what's going on. But see, the enemy, this crafty enemy, whispers in your ear and my ear, like he did with Eve, you got all this fruit and all this beautiful stuff to enjoy, but of this one tree you shall not eat. But Satan convinces Eve that God doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's still convincing some of us that God doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to sexuality and everything else and forbidden fruit. And so they, these first people, our forebears, they go blatantly against God's word and fail to trust God for his provision. And that whole naked and not ashamed thing goes away like that. That's what it means to be torn sexually. Chapter 3, verse 7. At that moment, they felt shame at their nakedness and so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves and we've been doing it ever since not just wearing clothes but hiding from God from each other and maybe you can think for just a moment about an uncomfortable memory of when you first put on fig leaves when you first got the glasses when you first recognized something that you knew was sexual impurity Maybe it was someone who touched you inappropriately or you were experimenting or you saw something on the internet. Maybe you were fooling around. I don't know. But we, we begin innocent and then we become part of this brokenness and we do the same thing the first mother and father did. They, they, we hide. And the worst part comes next. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and the wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. You know what used to happen? They'd say, Father... 
What's going on? It's been a beautiful day. Let me tell you what I did today. No, they didn't do that. They heard the evening breezes and the man and wife heard Lord God walking by the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. That's why God hates it. Because for some of us, too often, sexuality has become a source of hiding from each other instead of coming close to one another. It's become a source of pain instead of intimacy. It's become a source of distance from God rather than closeness. God hates that part. God hates what it does to you. And some of you know, as your heart has shriveled and you feel deadened inside because of past experiences with sexuality. Some of you are in a dysfunctional marriage today. Some of you have an unexplained bitterness and sadness and hollowed out innards. Some of you are frustrated because the thing you want most you can't seem to have. And you believe... It could have been achieved, but now it's too late. And so you back away and you sabotage every opportunity for intimacy you have with your life. God hates that. He created us for a beautiful life together with Him and others. He hates what it does to the relationship with Him. That's why David, this man after God's own heart who, cre- who had adultery with this woman Bathsheba, when he finally came to his senses and he saw what he had done, his, his gut-wrenching prayer that I've prayed many times, and you probably should too, is recorded for us there in Psalm 51. And he knows that his sexuality has, instead of become this beautiful thing, become this destructive thing and so he begs God in verse 11 of Psalm 51 don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me somehow this beautiful thing that's meant to bring us toward each other and God can become a thing that scares us to death that we'll lose God forever God hates that that's why That's why the Bible says things like 1 Corinthians 6. Flee! Run for your life! This is nothing to mess with. This is a big old can of gas and a torch. You don't want to get the two together. Flee sexual immorality. Trust that God knows what He's talking about. Don't be so dumb. All the other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It sort of stays with you in a different way. So run from it. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? It's where God wants to dwell, but you corrupt that and your heart hardens and the next thing you know, you're trying to say, "Go, God, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. So let's be honest about our tornness and and remember that God hates it. And then just open our spirits to the truth that God wants to heal us. God can heal our sexual tornness. Whatever version of that is true in your life, God can handle it. There's help. When we talk about, man, go to celebrate recovery on Friday nights and get in one of those groups, that's, what we, that's all we're saying is, Yes, confess your sin. Yes, get around some other people. Yes, see a counselor. Yes, go to celebrate recovery. But we're saying God can heal. And these are avenues that you might experience the touch of God's compassion and strength in an area that we've all been taught is beyond hope. I love this scripture that some of you might want to write down. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3. 
It's talking about the Lord God through the suffering servant who is Jesus. And it says this. This is his disposition toward us. It says this. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not put out. When there's this reed that comes, you know, this, this cattail that comes out of the marsh and, and it's, it's already almost, almost broken, it's barely holding it. He's not just going to say, well, this worthless thing is practically broken and snap it in two and say it's worthless. No, 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 he's not going to. The bruised reed, the one that's half broken, he cares the most about. He'll preserve it and wrap it up. It's his nature. If, you're, if you feel like you're a flame, a candle that's flickering and it's almost out, there's almost nothing left. In any second, there's going to be something that's going to just wipe you out completely. God doesn't come along and go, well, let's just get rid of that one. No, 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 no. In faithfulness, He will bring justice to all who have been wrong. Each of us, in certain ways, is a bruised reed and a smoldering flame. And God's not out to snap you and shame you. He's faithful. So you pursue healing and get a plan. If you've been abused, and I tremble to acknowledge that according to the statistics, Many, many people in the hearing of my voice have been. I want to tell you a true story about what happened to a person one day. And I want you to put yourself in the story, in the place, in this case, it's a woman. But if you're a man that's been abused, put yourself in the place of that woman. If, if, you, if you're honest enough to admit that you maybe need some healing for your, your porn or your lustful glances or your high insecurity or your over your over jealousness about this thing or some shame or whatever is part of your story. I want you to listen to this story as well. And it's actually from the Bible. Jesus is on his way because another little girl has died. So he's on his way over to where this twelve year old girl has died, but on the way he gets interrupted. There's a crowd around them. This is Mark chapter 5. Open your Bible if you have it. Mark chapter 5. I'm not going to read every verse, but uh, I'm going to tell you the story. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 24. There's a big crowd around Jesus. Everyone's jostling and hustling. People are like, he's a celebrity. He's a hero. They just love what he's doing. Everywhere he goes, something beautiful happens. And so they're all kind of crowding around, taking pictures, trying to get autographs, right? And, and, and can you see it? Gathering of folk like us. Some of us there because we love them and want to follow them. Some just because we're curious. Some because someone drug us along we didn't know what we were getting into. Just like us. So here you are. You're gathered around Jesus. You're in that crowd. Seeing if He's going to do anything today. Do you think He's going to touch somebody today? Do you think Jesus might touch someone? I wonder who it'll be. Maybe it'll even be you. The camera pans across a face of, crowd, uh, of the crowd uh, and the sea of faces and then it zooms in on this one person in particular who is this woman. Verse 25, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. Verse 26, she had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse her life is a mess this woman she has had a bad problem for 12 years of a menstrual cycle that wouldn't stop we're not exactly sure all of the nature of her hemorrhage but some kind of seemingly permanent uterine bleeding the blood had been flowing out of her for 12 years i'm sure leaving her weak leaving her weary the text says she suffered a great deal that's got to be an understatement 
She tried all the doctors. She went through the agony of this or that, emptied her bank account. Her family's probably abandoned her by now. None of them help. Everything just got worse. So you can see some of the parallels, can't you, between this woman and her problems and our own sexual brokenness. She tried everything. Nothing seemed to help. She set her hopes on this cure and that one, and still she had her private problem. It's not her physical ailments that are this woman's biggest issue. In the Jewish cultures, they had big, strict rules about cleanliness and holiness. So they had all these religious purity laws, and there were these well-defined rules about things. And one of the big rules was that she, you couldn't get fluid like that out of your body in the wrong time and place. And of course, she couldn't help it. It just was part of who she had become. And so she was ritually unclean. She was impure. She was considered defiled. Damaged goods, dirty. In fact, a prolonged discharge of blood like that meant that she was unclean. Anything she touched was unclean. And if you so much as touched anything she touched, or you sat on anything she sat on, you were also unclean. So in other words, you see how this is a taboo subject. It's private, it's personal, and it's painful. And no one can help with it because it's too shameful. She goes to, this woman goes to the river alone to wash out her garments because they're too stained, too, too blemished. She's too burdened. And so she hides it from everyone and blends in with the crowd and smiles for the camera. Just like some of us. And if you've been abused, you get it. If you're hiding sexual sin, if you do that thing on road trips or you're flirting at work or you, 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 you are hooking up, you, 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 or if you're just are not telling anyone about what's going on in the secret world of yours. You know exactly where this woman is. And what she does is she gets to the place where she says, I'm pretty desperate. I'm ready. I'm going to be honest with myself. I believe God can help. And she says, maybe I'll try Jesus. And she does. And he passes by and she says, if I just reach out for the edge of his garment, I believe that I would be healed. And Jesus passes by and she reaches out and instead of reaching for another cure or a fix or a person instead of reaching for a way to hide it she just reaches for Jesus and Jesus makes her well and he calls her daughter because this woman's father is probably long gone either disowned her or dead but Jesus says my daughter my beloved precious daughter and he draws her to himself and says, your faith has made you well. And you know, as I think about that story, it's a, it's a powerful example of how Jesus still works. The power of God was at work that day and showed itself to stop the flow of blood in her case, brought new life to a woman in something that was intensely personal and private and painful. And when Jesus went to the cross, He Himself suffered and hung there as an outcast Himself. And it was ironically a flow of His own blood, wasn't it? That showed the power of God and the love to heal all that is broken in us. All that is painful to bring us to abundant life. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth that there is hope. And that's where I want to land and leave you 
In the next week or so, you'll hear some amazing stories of people, some of whom have been sexually torn in terrible ways, through their own doing sometimes, and sometimes for things that have happened to them. And some of them are still kind of in process. In other words, they're not all completely done, but you know what? God is healing. God is bringing hope. And that's where I want to leave you. There is hope for all of us who are sexually torn. There is sexual brokenness in every person, including you. So let's be honest about that. But God hates it, and that's why He sent His Son to endure His own personal and private and painful day on the cross so that through His resurrection we can all experience new life. Psalm 51, verse 7, is another one you just want to mark in your Bible and keep. Here's the prayer of every one of our hearts to the Lord. You say to the Lord, purify and cleanse me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. You can pray this prayer, my friend. I don't care what your situation is. Pray this prayer. You can say to God, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Friend, you have dignity and yes, you have depravity. Dignity is who God says you are. You're a beautiful child created in His image and nothing that ever happens to you as a result of depravity will ever change it. You have dignity and you have depravity. So we've got to be honest about the depravity. Yes, I've got some sin in me, so do you. But you have dignity that will never be changed. That will never be changed. You don't always act dignified. You don't always act like you have the God-given worth and value in you. Neither do I. We act depraved sometimes. And things happen to us that suck us into this depraved old world. But nothing can change your dignity. Somebody handed me this the other day. You see what that is? Some of you don't even recognize it. You've never seen one. It's a $100 bill. I'm like, wow, there's Ben right there. $100 bill. How much is that worth? (laughs) You're like, not much. Cup of coffee at Starbucks, right? $100 is $100. That's how much it's worth. That's the, that's a, it's an example of the dignity and the worth of every human being. It's, it's the dignity and worth that God placed in you. And part of your dignity and worth as a creation in the image of God is so beautiful that God says nothing can ever change it. It's who you are. Now, depravity is what you do and what happens to you. And sometimes that has a way of taking the beautiful you and me and kind of crumpling it up and ruining it. Maybe I could take this. Maybe I could take this and I just kind of... Ooh, well, that was a lot messier than I thought. Sorry about that. Or I could just take it, and I got, whoop, little dog do on my shoe. How'd that get there? (laughs) How much is this worth right now? How much is this worth? It's been through the ringer. It's still worth $100. Anybody want this? Absolutely. Here you go. Come and get it. You kidding me, kid? On your life. <laughs> that kid would take it because he knows I could clean that up. And then, friend, friends, I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care if you've been raped or abused or you have, you've been in ten affairs. I don't care if you put on the glasses when you were too young with Eddie. 
It doesn't, the gospel says that that's your depravity and that's why Jesus died. To heal and cleanse and renew and to make clean again that part. And the dignity that you have as a child of God, the son or daughter that Jesus invites to touch the hem of his garment, that part never changes and don't ever forget it. Let's pray. God, we take all of these broken pieces of our lives, including our sexuality, and we offer them to you. It's very hard for us to do. It's very hard for us to be honest. It's hard for us to acknowledge even what's broken sometimes. But we just we ask, will you take all of our pieces and take it aside and just make something beautiful from it? Help us to see ourselves how Jesus sees us, to not as something that's worn out and spit on and worthless, but beautiful and worth exactly what he put into us. Take our brokenness aside, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.